Hello and welcome to the Trial of Identico from Humanoid Games. This is our recap edition, so we will talk about the game that hopefully you just finished listening to. Uh, we will recap our experiences with the game and with the system. As usual, we try to separate the game from the system as best we can because a lot of times we have fun, but that is that because of the system or in spite of the system? That's what we're here to find out today. Uh, joining me back for this recap are the players. You know them and you love them. First of all, we have Mike from the Redemption Podcast. Mike, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. And to remind everybody, who were you playing in our Trial of Identico? I played Harris, also known as uh, Chosun, uh, the hacker. Excellent. And to his right, my left state, it's it's confusing, is Christopher, also from the Redemption Podcast. Say hello to everyone, Christopher. Hello, everyone. So I call you Christopher because the other Chris always yelled at me when I called him Christopher. Do you per, prefer Chris or Christopher? Does it matter? Uh, usually Chris. He answers to a lot. I do, especially when my wife's yelling at me. Pretty much. You just, hey, you, I'll come over. Yeah. So, Chris, remind everybody who you were playing in our trial of Identico. Uh, I was playing Ajax. Uh, he was the greaser, kind of the mechanic. Uh, he liked to just kind of invent things. Very, very cool. And then we also had, you know, my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G., Caleb, who are you playing in our trial of Identico? Hey, everybody. I brought Flynn to the table, who was the combat specialist. I got to be the muscle of the party in this game. Yeah, you remembered you had robotic arms right at the end. I can neither confirm nor deny the fact that those robotic arms existed. <laughs> nice. Uh, and as for myself, I was playing Reynolds. I was playing the law enforcement officer, though in my case I was actually former uh, and I remember I had a sort of a cybernetic eye that would allow me to record uh, video whenever, pretty much audio video whenever I wanted to. Uh, I think there might have been some rules about how long I could record, but that never really came up. So again, we're going to talk about our experiences with the system. Uh, the, the game itself is called Identico, and that is based off of the in-game uh, rule or the, the in-game narrative of a company that sort of survived, I think, in like 2027 the United States was attacked by seven nuclear bombs that were dropped by drones and no one knows who did it. And that kind of sets up uh, sort of the overarching story of this game. And people were implanted with a chip that sort of became everything for them. It had all your personal information, all your medical information. You know, you could pay for things. It could let you in and out of things, that kind of thing. And the company was called Identico. Uh, so, Mike, I'll actually start with you. Uh, we usually like to try to start like big picture. Uh, what were your overall thoughts about Identico? I liked the game world. They, we were provided with a decent amount of background information to start the game as far as kind of the world we were in and kind of our position in the world and what we were going to be doing. I mean, the game has a very, a very I want to say, a genre feel to it. I mean, it's very much the uh, Blade Runner-ish, you know, futuristic uh, I don't want to go so far as to say post-apocalyptic, but maybe a little more dystopian type of feel to it. It definitely falls kind of in to me into the the more tech side, the more corporate side of the Shadowrun vein. That that being said, like uh, the way that the skills and stuff play out in the game, I feel like it it's 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 got its own little distinct part of the niche. Uh, playing the hacker, I got to do a lot of the, the, the particular adventure we did was filled with opportunities to do some hacking and some creative things. And, uh, I think the, the way that the sheets are set up and the way the skills were set up played a lot into that. It made it easier to be able to be creative in those ways. 
All right. Actually, I want to jump in there just because I, I want to do a counterpoint. Um, so I probably, I'm going to take a guess. I probably have the least amount of knowledge and experience with the cyberpunk genre. I've watched the original Blade Runner like one time. I thought it was okay. I don't like Shadowrun. I think I played it once and I didn't like it at all. I have never read any of the novels that cyberpunk sort of grew out of. So I went into this kind of a blank slate and I enjoyed the game and we'll, we'll get into specifics later. But the one thing that I didn't really get, and I, I had a chance to talk to um, Sean and Alex about the game, is it didn't feel like the future to me. This game felt like we were playing it modern day, really. And I think some of that has to do with them just kind of letting us be us and do crazy things. And like we, we add Uber <laughs> that we added into the game. And those sort of things probably really don't exist there. But he just sort of said, okay. But that was one of my problem. My main criticism is to me, it did not feel at all like a futuristic game. Uh, so I just wanted a counterpoint because you said that you, you felt that it did. So I, yeah, just, I, I felt like, again, playing the hacker, I got to do a lot of the futuristic stuff. I got to dig into the network. I got to use the virtual interface. I got to do a lot of the things that on top that layered on top of everything else to give it that future feel. Um, you know, you and Chris spent a majority of your time in a restaurant kind of like just kind of feeling out a suspect and like trying to provide cover for Caleb and I. And then when we got into like the gunfight situation again, that that played out more like a traditional combat gunfight. There wasn't a, a whole lot of necessarily high tech feel to that. But on the hacking side, like that was kind of cool. I got to use ride the network and kind of trace things in a, in a building, for example, like figure out where there was dead space and transmissions. And like, there was a whole another level to the game that felt a little bit more meaty as far as the futuristic, the technical side. Um, but yeah, but I could see where coming from your particular play experience, it felt like almost like a, like a gumshoe game. Yeah, it was very, I mean, it was like a heist, and I like heists. Yeah, yeah, I was definitely. fine with it. It just didn't feel like a futuristic heist yeah. to me. But but fair enough, we played different character archetypes, and we did different things. Uh, so I'll move over to you, Chris, now. What were your overall thoughts about the game? I enjoyed it. You know, I'm kind of leaning more towards you where I didn't really get the real experience of the setting. But when I read through the setting, I actually enjoyed it, and I liked the concept that they came up with. I really like the fact that the world is set up where we could add things that we like. Adding in the, the Luber, I think we called it. The yeah, Uber yeah Lyft we got it Luber, yeah. yeah. The Uber-Lyft combo, that was kind of neat. Um, I, I agree, Alex was very much the yes and game master, so I think he really let us just kind of develop the story we wanted to. I enjoyed it. All right, and then Caleb, what about you? I had a blast playing this game. It was really fun. Coming from the strong cyberpunk background that I have I agree with both sides of this at first glance there doesn't seem to be a whole lot from the mechanics that makes me feel cyberpunk is happening and I but I don't think that's a bad thing because let's think about it Shadowrun has set the bar for cyberpunk since it was invented. Every time you say cyberpunk in a gaming world, you think of Shadowrun. But if we take away the lore of Shadowrun, if we take away the genre and just look at the raw mechanics, nothing in the raw, pure mechanics makes me think cyberpunk. It's always the genre. 
And it's always the eternally paired dynamic of that cyberpunk genre that Shadowrun has defined with its mechanics. That's what makes me think rolling a handful of D6 and looking at all these numbers is cyberpunk. It's not. It's just a different type of mechanic. So if we divorce the setting from the mechanics, there's no mechanics that are like, hey, this is cyberpunk. So I don't want to fault Identico for that because I really do like the mechanics. They're not my favorite mechanics, but I think they work very well for what the game is trying to do. But if we bleed back in that very strong, interesting world setting that Chris mentioned, then this becomes a really solid cyberpunk game. And it's definitely not a typical neon hackers doing crazy stuff kind of cyberpunk. This is a very mildly futuristic cyberpunk. This is one of those genres that has a lot of variation. Cyberpunk can mean a lot of things. Yes, we're in the future. There's crazy stuff happening. I think the implication is that there's aliens and stuff. So <laughs> this is a cyberpunk game through and through. It's not a typical cyberpunk game. And it may not be the one I pick up off the shelf every time I get that cyberpunk jonesing. But when I want to play a really gritty, brutal heist game with that cyberpunk futuristic vibe, this is a go-to system. All right, very cool. And again, I'm fine with being wrong about that. I just, because I, I had nothing going in. Well, I don't think you're wrong. I, I, that's what I was trying to get to oh, through I do. my ramble there. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> I'll default to Mike for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm wrong. Um, you know, we played one scenario that was very much a heist scenario. It's very possible that had we played a different scenario, it would have felt completely different. The things that we did to what Mike was saying, we, you know, we split the party because that's always a good idea. <laughs> right off the uh, bat. Yeah, right off the bat. Two of us went to a fancy restaurant and it was a very role play heavy scene. So we're basically in a bar in a restaurant just talking to people. We, we had our cell phones with us. You know, we we didn't say they were iPhones or whatever, but we had cell phones. And then you two. E-phones. You went and did some other stuff that involved packing and breaking in and counter surveillance and all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, and like you said, then we got to the end, and it was kind of a gunfight. We broke into a, a megacorp. We fought some guards. It was very much a brutal system. I mean, it, it's very brutal when it, you hit somebody with a gun. Oh, yeah. If I recall correctly, we we fought hard against uh, Caleb's character cutting an arm off, but then you let loose with a shotgun and blew a guy's leg off. <laughs> yeah, and, that definitely and happened. Caleb, Caleb did kind of have an issue with that because we fought. We pushed him not to cut this guy's arm off. And then you just yeah. like let loose with both barrels and then left a guy sitting there with an egg salad sandwich and no leg. To, to, be, to be fair, I was trying to shoot him gently. <laughs> Turns out you, you can't. This, this system does not lean towards a gentle shotgun blast to the torso. <laughs> but I guess that does play into the vibe that Identico is going for. And I, and I think that works, because if, if we want to really play to this type of quasi-futuristic, the real world but in, advanced a couple hundred years, looking at the game world, a lot of stuff is still pretty similar. And I think that's a good thing to reinforce. I don't know if that was more 
Alex running the game or the game itself, but the fact that we could latch onto a couple dudes hanging around in a bar made us made it a lot easier for us to get into the game. When you when you take a typical cyberpunk game, when you take Shadowrun, you have to be able to digest thousands of years of history, magic plus dragons, plus crazy technology, plus megacorp, plus this, plus that. This is a pretty straightforward game. Identico is, hey, you're in the future. There's some crazy stuff happening. Go. It's fine. Just deal with it. It's still normal life. <laughs> nice. All right, so I'll circle back around to, to you, Mike, to start the second part of the conversation. So when you're looking at the mechanics, was there anything about the mechanics that stood out to you positively or negatively? Like, what were your overall impressions about how the system worked, you know, behind the curtain? It's been quite a while since we played the game till now, so there's a little bit of fuzziness. I know we listened to the episodes, but from what I recall, it was a D20 system. Yep. It uh, had non-binary resolution, yep. so there was degrees of success. And, uh, you know, certain weapons, there's like rate of fire that could determine how many times your, your gun hit, for example. And we'll, I'll let you talk about the hacking mechanics because you're the only one that really dealt with that. Everything was skill-based, like you had attributes that had skills. Uh, I think you could default if you didn't have them. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, it was pretty straightforward. You pretty much rolled to do 20 whenever you wanted to try to do something and high numbers were better. So what were your impressions of the system? The, the two things that stood out to me was obviously on the hacking side. The hacking in this, and again, I use Shadowrun as a comparison because it's kind of like the the standard for for a cyberpunk type of game or where there's hacking involved. But in this particular case, there's two skills that I had that I was using all throughout the game. That's networks and software. And we were able to use those skills pretty interchangeably to do a lot of things we needed to do. Uh, so you're getting skill bonuses when you roll against the dice, and then you get full bonuses for uh, certain actions. I liked the way that played out, and I liked the way that they allowed your cybernetics and things to give you additional bonuses. But that's a pretty standard type of thing. You know, it's basically like a- equipping. It's like putting equipment on. It's like wearing a comlink would give you a-, a bonus to this, or you know, having uh, an integrated processor system in your head would give you a bonus to this that's that's pretty standard i did like the way it played out but that may be because my dice were rolling particularly hot during that game Uh, oh yeah you dominated this game world every single time you did anything the i would say the challenge for me as a player is that i didn't have at least offhand like a way to say okay this is a high dice roll this is a low dice roll so when i would roll the dice it was literally just I was waiting to see how things played out instead of kind of knowing, okay, well, that's that's a, that's a no way I could have succeeded with that role. Not knowing the system as well as I should have maybe led me to that conclusion. The other thing I really liked, and I think you guys will have more to say about this than I did because my shots were pretty much spray and pray, but I did like the targeting system and I liked the way that they broke it down to basically sections of the body and how those sections had criticals. So you could do you could hit somebody in the left arm, do half damage to the arm, and then there's a chance that they could drop a weapon, or they could fumble their shot somehow, or you'd affect them going into their next turn. I, I kind of liked that the idea of that, especially because most of us had like smart weapons, smart pistols, whatever. So the idea of an integrated targeting system, maybe in the way of Fallout's VATS system, is what that makes me think of. 
So, you know, you're targeting and then you see like the little arm highlight and that's what I'm going to shoot, you know. <laughs> um, I liked both of those things. Uh, that's what I had the most experience with anyway. Now, I think I had mentioned maybe right after the game or, or you and I were talking at some point that, you know, we played over the Internet. Uh, it was pretty much theater of the mind. A couple times Alex would like hold up a picture to the camera. But it seemed to me that with hacking, it would have been very beneficial to actually have a map because they had maps for how to hack and like you could navigate through routers and into subnets and all the stuff that lingo that I don't know what means. And I think most of it's made up. Uh, (laughs) Was there ever any point that you felt a little bit lost or that you would have liked to have seen a map? Well, I think for myself, uh, I mean, it is my job. So like I have a familiarity with the way networks are laid out. So that to me, wasn't something that would get in my way. But at the same time, I could see somebody wanting to play a hacker that didn't have that experience, that wouldn't know the lingo, wouldn't know how things are connected when you go into like just a general office building or even even on your home network. And that might provide, you know, a, a cheat sheet like that or some kind of map, a glossary of terms, you know, those types of things obviously would be beneficial to any player um, going into that scenario. It just so happened that it's kind of what I do as a day job. So, you know, router to firewall to, you know, hotspot, whatever, you know, I'm familiar with those terms. I can make that work. Gotcha. All right. So, uh, Chris, I'll, I'll go to you. Was there anything about the mechanics, uh, mechanical system of the game that stuck out to you? Good, bad, indifferent. What did you think about it? Well, this is a system that I enjoyed playing, but I don't think I would enjoy running it. There's a lot more rules to pay attention to than I usually like to when I run a game. The combat, whenever somebody would shoot, you have to track where did it hit, how much damage is done to the armor, then how much damage is done to that body part. That's just too much for me as a game master. I would prefer, hey, I take this much damage, here's the status that I'm in. So the combat was a little clunky to me. I enjoyed playing it, but like I said, I wouldn't enjoy running it. Uh, as far as my skills, since I was the greaser, kind of the mechanic slash inventor, I only used it once when I turned my cell phone into a little microphone. It was a simple little skill check. It was quick and easy. I succeeded, but at a cost. So it wasn't the cleanest audio. I really enjoy that type of mechanic. I like different levels of success. I like you succeed with, you know, great things or you succeed at a cost. So that was neat that they put that in there. You also modified your weapon to shoot uh, uh, a grappling hook, basically. I do remember that. That's correct. I forgot about that one. And, again, just a simple check. He said it would hold, I think, just my weight, which was a hint that uh, Flynn wasn't going to make it out if we had to use that rope, (laughs) which I was okay with. And I think Caleb was okay with his character crash landing. Oh, absolutely. Superhero pose, right? Yep. (laughs) Otherwise, the rules were pretty simple. Like I said, they were just... A little more than I would generally like when I run a game. Now, actually, I I agree with you in that that I could I could see myself as a DM hand waving a lot of that, which is probably a disservice to the system, because I feel like this is a system that benefits from someone who actually does the rules correctly, unlike myself, uh, because that's what you're that's the benefit of that is that you can target certain body parts to get certain effects, and if you're hand waving it, it kind of loses what it what it does well. But I don't know that it's something that I would be able to do well. And and with that, I'll I'll just jump in that it was very clear to me that while we did not use a map for the game, Alex definitely had one. 
that or the dude's got an IQ of 240 because like he always had the answer of like, like this is the name of the street. This is what's across the street. This is what floor that we're on. You know, it's four blocks away. And whenever we were trying to do things in the game, it, it was clear that there was a map laid out that we were on a, on some sort of map in his mind or on his table that there was a real relationship between things where, again, I'm, I'm getting to the point now where I do a lot of just sort of hand wavy stuff. Like, okay, you want to go to the bank? All right. You're five minutes walking in. You're there. We don't tell you which direction you go. And it doesn't matter what's next to it unless it becomes important what's next to it. And in this system, I, I pretty sure that there's going to be a lot of tactical strategizing and like planning, especially for heists, like which building and where and which way this traffic goes and how you're going to get back into traffic with a getaway car. And I just, that's a, it's a different type of game that I've played in a while. As a player, I had fun with it. As a GM, I think I would be a little intimidated. Caleb, what about you? All right. So I think within the confines of Identico, within the framework it creates, its rules are really solid. I think it does a lot very well, and I think it uses the mechanics to support some of the genre. With so much emphasis on what a good hacking role can do, I think that supports the quasi-future cyberpunk nature. I think the ability to target different body parts and the lethality of the dice rolls gives a nice brutal gritty dangerous edge and i think that's what the game needs to work properly in its genre that these guys have written that being said there are a couple things about the mechanics i don't like but i don't like them in comparison to my go-to player and gm strengths so i don't think what i don't like is bad it's just not my preference uh, the numbers are pretty small. I've, I'm on record in this show. I'm not a fan of small numbers. I like big numbers. They make me feel better. Uh, the modifiers and the skills are all very, very low. I think they're lower even than the 5E curve. Uh, and I'm just not a fan of small numbers. I'm also not a fan of... I don't even. I can't even think of the word right now. I'm kind of fried from work. Hit placement, hit die placement, hit point placement. Like hit locations. Hit locations. That's the word I'm going for. Thank you. I've never liked that. I like the reality it brings and the tactical options and the verisimilitude. I love being able to say, I want to blow this guy's leg off and having a real mechanical impact and not just, cool, you took a dude's leg off. Great. That was narratively awesome. This matters. What we do here matters. So I appreciate that it's there. But I also think it's really clunky. It's a lot to deal with. It slows down the game. It makes me, as a player, do a lot of math to keep track of the hit points of each individual body part. Because if we look at the character sheet, we have hit points and armor for one, two, three, four, five, six different body parts. And each of those body parts then also has a hit track, which can grant penalties leading up to being crippled or dead. So there's a lot of paying attention to little boxes on my character sheet, which is not a bad thing because I 
am also on record for loving crunch heavy mechanical systems. I'm being kind of hypocritical here, <laughs> but I'm getting old and I don't have a lot of time to game anymore. So I want things to be simple. And a lot of this stuff makes it not simple, but that doesn't mean it's bad. You know what, Caleb, to your point, I, as you were describing what the system was like, I kept going back to something that was nagging me while we were doing this. I kept thinking, there's something else this is like, and I can't put my finger on it. I can't put my finger on it. The way that this is laid out and kind of the, and even the environment and the world that's been created reminds me of the old PC game syndicate. Hmm. Where you would build, where you would build a squad, and your squad, you know, you could you could lay them out with different abilities and cybernetic enhancements and things, and then typically your squad had to go in and do a thing, whether that was to free some hostages or go uh, take out a group of enemies or what have you in the game, and it was mega corps and that type of thing. I feel like now that I'm I'm having that realization that that syndicate may have also been kind of an inspiration to this game in general. Hit locations like this does have a really strong video game feel. It's a lot like seeing on a screen a little silhouette with green bodies that turn yellow and red as the NPCs shoot you or you shoot them. Which also kind of strengthens the cyberpunk feel. That feels like that old school wireframe animation. I can kind of visualize it from that. So it's nothing bad. It's just not my go-to off the shelf. And I think for the right GM, uh, yeah, Alex killed it with this game. Mm -hmm. He ran it masterfully. He let us get away with shenanigans, but still kept the game moving and kept the feel and the genre going. So this game absolutely needs the right GM to be successful. And we were very lucky to have that. The last thing I'll comment on uh, is mostly my fault because I did forget I had cybernetic arms and that mean I got to roll an extra die and I didn't realize that and rolling more dice is cool. And that would have made me happier the whole time. And I, I wasn't <laughs> paying attention. So I'm a little bit bummed. That's an interesting mechanic that some special abilities give you extra dice on top of that standard D 20. It's a nice addition. I would have appreciated it more. Had I been more aware of that? I think I would have, uh, been a little bit more excited to stay engaged and find that extra bonus when I was using my robo arms to make sandwiches. <laughs> it was a good sandwich though. It was a damn good sandwich. <laughs> so um, it reminds me of RuneQuest, though I've only just recently played RuneQuest, but that they also have targeted location. Each location has its own armor. Each location has its own hit points. You can be crippled or dis- disarmed, whatever, dismembered. Though that one uses a percentile base, this uses the D20. And for some reason, I like the D20 better. I don't know why. So I'm not a huge fan of that, but this one didn't bother me as much as, as I have, in, have experienced in other games. And I'm really not a fan of active defense because I feel like it just adds an extra, extra layer of complexity. And now I have to roll twice as often. But I will say that that led to one of my favorite moments in the game is when I rolled really poorly on an attack, and I was like, I got really bummed, and they rolled really poorly on their defense, and I still hit. And it was like this roller coaster of emotion that you don't get when you roll an 18 and you know an 18 is going to hit. So I think I rolled an 8, or it might have even, I might have even been defending. It was one of the two. I rolled really poorly, and I was really like, oh, God. And then I, I still succeeded, and it was like a, a small elation. So it can create moments that maybe a simpler system can't create. 
I'm just not sure in the long run if that would be worth it. But again, I think we've already established this isn't the type of game that I'm going to run, but I did have a lot of fun playing it. Uh, one other thing that I'll mention is it, partway through the game, if you did listen to the episodes, I started referring to Mike's character as a wizard because you were a wizard. You were straight up a wizard. You were doing things that we didn't understand that we couldn't see. I mean, obviously the Carl Sagan thing about technology and all that, but but I could see that because the, the, the hacker can do so much, I don't know that you needed us a lot of the time. I feel like you could have just done everything on your own. Now, you rolled like a want. I mean, you were just killing it. So maybe if you had sucked out a bit on your rolls, it would have felt differently. But there were quite a few times I'm like, I don't think we need to be here. I think Mike's got this. And that was kind of a and, – and that was – it's funny you mentioned that because as I was listening to the episodes again, it did strike me how often – my roles were succeeding and not just like, not like so much criticals, for example, but like just, you know, for myself, I got a plus five and a plus six to every hacking role I did. So either I got a plus five or I got a plus six. So even a middling role, like even something, you know, rolling a thir- 13 or 14 can suddenly become this, this successful role in that situation. So that being said, yes, I did get to roll high for the game. But I also feel like the skills were working in my favor because this character was particularly set up to be a very good hacker, even at a low level. Like they were, their skills were set up, their attributes were set up to benefit that hacking side. Like on the combat side, on the on for everything else, this character is below par. But when it comes to actually hacking and drinking cheap vodka, this character was very good at that. And eating and eating uh, taquitos. And we talked to Alex, I think maybe like at some point during the game, I don't know if it may have gotten cut out, but they did talk about in the system, there's also what they call the wastelands, which are basically outside the mega cities. They're not, you know, like nuclear fallout uh, wastelands, but they're just, you know, like country folk. You know, there's animals, lab- labor's animals, the farming, wells, uh, not, you know, as in water, not as in big creature, whale. But basically, if you got to that place, you would be very much a fish out of water. Yeah. To go back to my well ratio, that um, or metaphor, that you would not be able to do all those things. So I would just, I think that's a good avenue to go to. That if you do have one player that has that much power to dominate, that you have the option of switching things up and getting them out of that environment. And I'm sure there's things you can do in the game, like turn off their ability, have an NPC anti-hacker, because Luigi was nowhere near your skills. But, <laughs> but maybe they could put an NPC who was and was actively working against you that would have made it a little bit more tense. And that was that was something that wasn't clear during the game so much. I wasn't sure if uh, if I was being rolled against if there was defense rolls for this or if it's just a if it was a set number based on the level of the security of the building we were in i feel like that's how it was going but i can see where they could have created an npc that would have changed that you know but again i don't know but that's how it felt at the time yeah. to me and one thing i did like in the software side too on the hacking side is that you know there's um i didn't mention it before but there's software packages that are kind of standard in the game that you can get that will assist you in certain ways. But then there's also a section or a part of this where you kind of have to develop your own software to do things. It's not just a simple, like uh, when we were trying to trace that car, for example, uh, trace, find the driver, 
it wasn't so much a question of just going to a surveillance system. I, the character had to roll to create a worm that could actually do this for me uh, from a software piece. So again, it's it's a part of the game that isn't really being seen by the other players per se, but it does really play into that that cyberpunk feel, uh, that futuristic feel, I guess I should say, the tech side of things. Okay. So, Chris, I'll go back to you. Is there anything else about the system, positively or negatively, that stood out to you? The gameplay, mechanics, setting, anything that you would want to comment on? I would like to have explored the other areas that you were talking about. I think they had well, the fringers you were talking about that live outside the cities, and then you had the shadows where people lived in there, and then you had the people who embraced the chips. You know, it seemed like we were all playing people who embraced the chips. I'd like to have seen kind of more of the darker side of it the people who are rebelling against the corporations i think right there's a ton of opportunity for great stories we just didn't happen to go in that direction and that partially could have just been our play style well and again we're in a basically a con scenario we got to have a big beginning middle and end yeah you know they're they're going to be very structured i mean and and if i recall he was running uh what would have been a slightly modified version of the the trial scenario for us uh, yes. Mm-hmm. When he sent us all of our paperwork, he said, "Please don't read the adventure. Yeah, you may be going on something very similar to this." So, you know, he definitely had a package he was working off of to present this to us, uh, and I'm sure we were throwing him plenty of curveballs in the way that we do things. But, uh, but yeah, so I think the the potential for all that exists. It just so happened that, like Michael says, we were kind of in a con scenario where you know you're. Here's the here's the one shot I've got designed for you guys, and it fits within this framework. Yeah, no, I agree. I just think the system itself has got so much storyline in there, and I think it would do a good job of really telling those rich stories that go from you know the the dirt farmer all the way up to you know the mega rich person. I think you can make a character that's going to fit that whole range, and something that'd be good and fun to play in. And part of it, too, I think, on top to, to go along with that is that, you know, we were all using pregens. Character creation in the system is a good way to tell how the system's going to play for you, how if you're going to enjoy playing the system or not. Um, and we kind of jumped in with these pregens, so we didn't get to see that side of things. Chris mentioned the fringers and the shadows, and there's background pieces to all these characters that, you know, we didn't really explore because that wasn't the purpose of this particular game. So that's something that I think I would like to know more about, honestly, that I, I would dig into more if I if the materials were present. I think I'd look at the character creation side and see what that looked like. All right, very cool. And again, character creation, we did not touch on that at all. We got pre-gens. So uh, I know Caleb has mentioned many times that that's how he likes to explore a system is by creating his own characters, and we didn't have that opportunity. Um, so Caleb... To you, is there any sort of anything else about the game, the system, the setting that you would like to call out and touch on? I will share the sentiment that everyone else has. I think there's a lot more to this game and this world than we got to experience. And I think if we can dig into that larger experience, we will very likely find a much richer game that has a lot more that fills some of those things we felt were lacking as we've had this discussion. I really liked Identico. We had an excellent game, a great group of players, a great GM. It may not be my favorite mechanical structure, but it was a terrific experience, and that makes me want to try it again 
in a different scenario to learn more things about it. And as long as you as a player or a GM are wanting a game that is tactically focused, mechanically focused, very lethal with a quasi-futuristic cyberpunk instead of the ultra-neon magic cyberpunk, this is a solid game and something you should really look into. All right, and with that, again, this is Identico. It's by Humanoid Games. It's their first RPG. It is currently on Kickstarter, so as of the time that you're listening to this, unless this is in the future, uh, you can go right now. There'll be links in our show notes. You can go over to the Kickstarter page, check it out, and see if this is something that you would like to support. Um, So one last time around the horns, anything else that you want to talk about, touch on, or say before we sign off? Mike? I had a great time with it. It was fun, and uh, I'd be happy to play it again, maybe at a Catacon. All right, Chris? Great time. It was a lot of fun. Alex, uh, if you're listening, thank you so much for uh, running the game for us. And like I said, I would love to play the game more, just not necessarily my uh, game mastering style. And Caleb? Any game that lets me scratch my eternal cyberpunk itch and dig into some sandwich-making shenanigans is a good game. (laughs) Uh, So as the person who knows nothing about cyberpunk, it felt like a great heist game. I like heist games. Don't know that I would want to run it, but I would be happy to play in it again uh, and do some more heist shenanigans. So one last time, again, this is Identico by Humanoid Games. Please go check out the Kickstarter and the links below and see if this is something that you would like to support. Oh, one more Uh, thing, Michael, if I can. Oh, of course. I need to apologize to everybody who listened to that because that was maybe the the worst accent I've ever performed. Oh, it ever. was terrible. Oh, uh, it was good. It, it was it was terrible. It was oh, it, it was, was quite bad. And listening to it again today, I got a lot of laughs out of it, but I, then I thought, "Wow, that's just bad." So, I'm just going to apologize now while I've got the <laughs> forum to do so. F- fantastic. Um so, before we actually sign off, we'll go around and let people know where they can find you and your other work on the interwebs. Uh, Mike, where can people find you? Uh, I can be found with the Redemption Podcast, a proud member of the RPG Academy Network. Uh, I play the character Tazi. Earn your paycheck there, buddy. Yep, right. Uh, I play the character Tazi on that show, and uh, if you want great Star Wars story with some action and a little bit of of funny, uh, we're your go-to. So uh, check us out at redemptionpodcast.com. Excellent. And Chris? Well, Mike just stole 90% of what I was going to say. I'll throw in, we do have a Twitter account, Redemption Pod. So you can reach out uh, there and get a hold of us as well. You can find me on Twitter at LoserMLW, L-O-S-E-R-M-L-W. All right, I'll I'll put links in the show notes to all this as well. And then Caleb, uh, you're my regular co-host, but where else can people find you on the interwebs? You can always find me on Twitter at TheCalebG. I ramble a lot and say very little about gaming because life is changing drastically. But you can also see me in person this November at a Catacon. Yay, a Catacon. All right, and this is Michael uh, at the RPG Academy, pretty much all social media forums. If you search that and you find something, it's me. Uh, you can also find me at a Catacon this November. Uh, again, everyone on the show today will be at a Catacon in November, so you should be there as well. Tickets are available currently on Eventbrite. You can go to our website, which is a Catacon, A-C-A-D-E-C-O-N, dot com for more information. So with that, we will go ahead and sign off. So this has been Michael. 
Michael. And Chris. And Caleb. And we will see you next At the movies? At the movies. Let's all go to the movies. (laughs) That's not how that song goes. (laughs) I apologize. I want a taco. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize, but we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at The RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.